Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Welcome to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. We are in the dog days of summer, which means our locally grown fruit and veggies are at their peak freshness, and they're pretty delicious. Berries, collard greens, cucumbers, tomatoes, corn, and zucchini are so abundant right now. We wanted to celebrate the season with a guest whose philosophy and tips might inspire your own wellness and healthy eating journey, or at the very least, help you figure out what's for dinner tonight. Terry Walters is a writer, educator, and author of Eat Clean, Live Well. She lives in Avon, Connecticut. Later in the show, Terry and I stroll through the Weston Farmer's Market in Hartford to get inspired by all that peak summer produce. But first, I asked her to define clean eating. Clean eating for me has always been just about how to get in those foods that we all need more of, kind of no matter what else is on your plate, like a rainbow of color and all the tastes, you know, farm fresh produce and eating in balance with the seasons, which, you know, from day one, I thought seasoned, what a great name for a show. (laughs) We have that in common because Mother Nature really gives us what we need in each season to maintain balance with that season. So I try and make it so that you know, people don't have to take a deep dive into nutrition. They can just follow the seasons in my book and know exactly what they will be well served to eat from season to season. I make it really easy. I try and make it as accessible as possible. And it's always delicious. I know you have four key principles. I wonder if you wouldn't mind going through them with us for our listeners. I feel like these principles are always changing and evolving, but Really, the four key are to eat all the colors of the rainbow. We hear that all the time, but it's such an easy way to balance nutrition. You don't need to have an advanced degree to look in your grocery cart and see. Not Fruit Loops, right? Not the package, but fresh produce, you know, minimally processed so we can get that maximum nutrition. All the tastes, you know, sweet, salty, uh, we got those tastes down pat, but they're sour and there's bitter, and there's pungent, which is just like heat or movement in your gut. It could be hot peppers, but it could also be cumin or cinnamon or ginger, some of my favorite pungent spices. So all the tastes, all the colors, and then superfoods is like this new term that's come up. It doesn't mean a fancy package and a high price tag. Really, everybody's superfoods are going to be different for their unique constitution. And your superfood might just be a color or a taste that you're not getting any of. So if you don't eat anything blue, then blueberries could be your superfood. If you're not eating greens, kale or romaine lettuce might be your superfood. So really making sure that you're getting those superfoods in that give you that um, great nutrition. And then one food that I've been talking a lot about, the fourth principle would really be fermented foods. And uh, I remember listening to one of your shows and you were talking about kimchi. Holy cow, have I taught a lot of kimchi in the last, you know, 14 months, but fermented foods 
are the good bacteria that are required for healthy digestion. And they're really at the foundation of all of our health. Um, so we need prebiotics and probiotics. So the prebiotics are the foods that feed the good bacteria and the probiotics are the bacteria themselves. And those come from largely from fermented foods. Manasal, I just can't do kombucha. Whenever I think fermented foods, like obviously I go right to like, you know, uh, kimchi, but kombucha, I just can't do it, Terry. It, can you make it not gross me out? Like, I, I don't think if I showed you my um, kombucha starter, that would help at all. No, I don't want to see that. <laughs> but <laughs> no, you really don't. <laughs> it's Isn't it funny? Like fermented foods, it's kind of like the art of rotting food to make it healthier, which is like just does not compute for you know, a lot, but kombucha is not one of the foods that I recommend as a fermented food. So you're kind of off the hook there. Okay, good. It has, can have a lot of caffeine, especially if you're uh, drinking store-bought, it can have a lot of added sugar, even though the sugar that's used to make kombucha in the first place, it feeds the fermentation. So the end product should not have a lot of, of sugar in it, but they do give a second fermentation and that tends to add sugar, and it can be taxing on the liver. So it's not the be all end all that um, the trend makes it look as though it is. <laughs> so you're off the hook, stick to your kimchi. I had no idea. That's those are good things to know. I left a glass of tea out when I was a kid, like sweet tea, left it out for probably too long and then took a sip of it. I guess it had gone bad. It just ruined me for life. That's all I can think of now is that flavor if I taste kombucha. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, we can move on. I just had to get out there. It's it's like a it's like therapy for me. <laughs> My dad told me once he put a um when he was a kid he put a container of apple cider in his closet and just let it ferment. So he had hard <laughs> apple cider, and every time I drink an apple cider, I think it just seems like it's probably was a little bit more um, of a process than that. But <laughs> yeah, that's another one of those trends, though. Too now people are drinking apple cider vinegar. I can't get past that one either. That's a tough one to do. My brother-in-law says when you have heartburn to drink apple cider vinegar. I'm like that doesn't make any sense to me. But okay. Yeah, or leg cramps. Like a lot of people have leg cramps at night. And that is one that I will promote because I think it's great. But um, apple cider vinegar, it kills the bacteria that cause sore throats, it alkalinizes. And if you get an apple cider vinegar that has the mother in it, so a raw apple cider vinegar, that is like powerful medicine right there. Those are, that's your probiotics. And you don't, and never take it straight. Like mm -hmm. that's just torture and it'll ruin your teeth and your gut and everything in between. But if you put a teaspoon, and as with anything, you know, a healthy habit is, could still be a change just because it's healthy doesn't mean you should dive into it. So start with half a teaspoon or a teaspoon and put it in your orange juice or some actually apple cider vinegar is great in apple cider or add it to your salad dressing. But I do, I, I have apple cider vinegar and water every morning to start my day. So it really is a, a great immune support. It's, it's great for your whole system, but it does take some getting used to. Yeah. I'm curious about, you know, the term clean eating and clean food, because I think it has become more in vogue mm -hmm. uh, in the past couple of years. And I often hear people, I think mistakenly saying, well, it's all plant-based. Clean food is just eating vegan. So what exactly is clean food as, as I think about like my pantry and I think about the things that I cook in my home or after this, I'm going to go to the grocery store and I'm going to try to put clean food into my shopping cart. What exactly am I looking for? Is clean food simply plant-based? Is it vegan? Is it possible to be a carnivore and uh -huh. have a, a clean food diet? 
Those are great questions. When I um, first came out with my book, Clean Food, I had so many people say, that's just ridiculousness. I wash my food. <laughs> and, but the, but the reality, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, and since it has caught on so unbelievably and been misconstrued. But, so like, before I tell you what it is, I want to tell you what it's not. Like, it's not a diet. There is no judgment. There's no rigidity. It's really, as far as like an approach goes, it's about listening to your body and honoring your unique constitution and giving it the foods that allow us to maintain good health. And in my mind, what makes it clean is if it's minimally processed so that we can get the maximum nutrition. Now, minimally processed even is like a misnomer, right? Because if I went and took an oat from the field, I have to process it, right? And here we're talking about fermentation, how it like actually makes food healthier and it, it actually adds nutrition and it can eliminate some like non-nutritional components that are in food. So like processing isn't evil, but when you're looking at a package to acknowledge that you're already removed from the source if you're in a package, right? But that's okay too. So if you're looking at the package, look at the ingredients and can you visualize how they've grown? Is there something that sounds like, you know, maybe it came from a lab instead of a green plant? And if so, can you put it back and get a package that has ingredients that you do understand as being food, you know, grown? I think of it as a, a spectrum and we all fall on that spectrum in a different place. So you don't have to sit down next to the plant, but if you're eating, let's just say instant oatmeal and you move to regular oatmeal and you're moving closer to the source. And instead of having the sugars and the sweeteners and um, flavors that are in the instant, you grated your own apple and maybe added a little cinnamon. The impact on your health is quite significant. So it's about being able to have a spectrum and a foundation that allows you to look at what you're doing and how you can maximize the health for yourself. And certainly eating in season is part of that. Because as I said in the beginning, you know, what grows around us gives us the nutrition that we need to maintain balance with that season. So like, you know, there's a reason that we're eating these high water, refreshing, cooling, cleansing fruits and vegetables in the summer. And two months from now, a month from now, what's above ground will start dying and all their energy will go down into the ground. And then come October, November, we'll harvest the roots and we'll eat those roots. And those are going to give us that strength to go into winter, right? And they'll winter over. So the seasons give us what we need in the food, how we cook and prepare them, you know, we're not sitting down making hot stews that warm the body in the summer, right? But we will in the winter because they're super warming. Now we're eating raw, fresh, cool. That seasonal component is super important and super powerful for helping us maintain optimal health. I love the description, when I saw what she just said there. It almost sounded like she's describing like a romantic love story there, how it, uh, you know, the fresh <laughs> vegetables and we're going to go into the ground and take them out. That was awesome. I loved every single thing you said right there. I couldn't agree more. Makes me think, though, a little bit when you start to talk about pulling things out of the ground, not everything that we can always get from clean eating has to come from the ground. You, I mean, there's some frozen things you can buy. There are some packaged things you can buy. Is there What kind of things do you recommend for that? 
I try not to recommend because every body is different. So if you're not eating greens, let's just say, or you don't have access to fresh greens, like frozen green beans, frozen peas, and the same rule applies. Look at the package. Is it just peas or is there some kind of preservative added? Can you get the fresh peas? So really making it work for you. I think things like, you know, canned beans and powdered vegetable stock. Those are like two things that I completely depend on because if I can put those in a pot and throw in whatever else I happen to have and turn it into soup, you know, some greens, some roots, bring it to a simmer, some beans, I have a whole meal and it didn't take me having to go to the grocery store. It didn't take a lot of creativity even. I can, you know, add a splash of vinegar or I can add some salt and pepper and it's done. My kids say my cooking technique is dump and stir. And that's like, that is really what it comes down to. Whatever it takes for you, you don't have to give up the foods you love. My goal is really to make it easy and um, to give you ideas for using these foods in the season and optimizing health. To that point about eating the foods you love, I'm thinking about my family. Everyone has a different meat protein that they like. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I'll go to the grocery store. Is it is it still clean eating if I'm buying organic chicken? Am I going a step further if I'm buying a grass-fed rib roast or ribeye? Um, is that still considered clean eating? And how do we apply clean eating to the meat proteins? And also not break our bank if, in fact, what I think you're going to say is true. <laughs> <laughs> so when I first started teaching... It was a conscious choice not to include dairy, not to include gluten, not to include animal protein. Nobody ever came to me and said, geez, you know, I could really use more ways to get dairy into my diet, or I need more recipes for chicken, but everybody needed more variety of dark leafy greens and to understand what to do with a variety of different grains or how to get non-animal sources of protein. So that's what clean really became for me. These, as I said, like these foods, we all need more of. And when I say no matter what's on your plate, it's not an afterthought. It just doesn't feel like it's my place to judge what anybody else eats. I'm not in their body. I don't have their ancestry. I don't have their lifestyle, right? Like, so um, we make those decisions for so many different reasons. And I think most important is to honor those decisions. When it comes to animal protein or anything really, even should it be organic, That also is a choice. And there's a group, the um, Environmental Working Group, ewg.org, that lists the foods that are grown with the most pesticides and herbicides. And so they call them the dirty dozen and those that are grown with the least, the clean 15. And it changes from year to year. And how we farm and how we grow has been changing monumentally. So if it's something you eat a lot, Like I use a lot of olive oil. So I buy organic olive oil. I also go to local farms and try and and hopefully we'll see this in our little surprise (laughs) session, but organic is expensive for a farmer to get that certification. So one of the benefits of going to a farmer's market is you get to talk to the farmer. You get to see, oh, hey, I know where that grew down the street, right? So you see how it's grown. So I don't think it's so necessary that it be organic. I do eat a lot of organic food, but I just like to know how it was grown. And when it comes to meat or fish, how it was raised. And if I'm eating a lot of it, it becomes more important to me. 
if it's just a treat here or there, I don't care quite as much. Most far a lot of farmers, I don't say most, but a lot of farmers that I know, they can't afford to get that certification. That's it's right. expensive, but most of them are growing organic mm-hmm. anyway. You know, I would prefer if you can get like a local farmer who has protein, who has chicken, who has a, a beef farm, that's probably your best bet. But I know that stuff can get expensive, but at least then you know what's in it. I, I don't like it to sound like it's unapproachable because there's you know, our food system just isn't transparent. And um, you don't have to necessarily spend an arm and a leg in order to eat well. Definitely not. As a matter of fact, I buy a ton that's in bulk. And once you understand how food works and you can start pulling things together and make your beans dried and have whole grains dried, right? And and I think one of the things that's helped almost seems to contradict going to the farmer's market, but like I've been buying a lot of things online. And I think that has made things more approachable for people let's just say I I buy quinoa, right? If I can buy a five pound bag of quinoa, that drives the price way down. And then I have it for my whole family instead of buying a little box that's jacked up price at the store, right? But when it comes to animal protein, nobody expects you to know everything. But that's what I tell people all the time, like, ask, because that's how you educate yourself. And that's how you teach the farmer or whoever or the purveyor that you care and you want to know. And that creates transparency. And so I think that's like, you know, when I first uh, moved back to Connecticut, I, I grew up here. But when I first moved back, I remember I used to go into my local stock and shop and I'd say, hey, you know, do you have organic quinoa? And they'd be like, oh, there's that lady again. And then I'd say, oh, and I'm really interested in apple juice in a glass bottle and not plastic. And they'd like roll their eyes and, you know, run in the other direction when I walked in. And now they have organic quinoa in three colors and they have apple juice and glass bottles. And it's, it's always changing in our grocery stores, even not just our farmers, like they're members of our community. They want to serve the community. So Asking is the best way to get that education and to let people know that you care. And and that's really what's driving the change in our food system. And our food education now for just everybody, even people who aren't into food, we understand so much more about it now and are so much more involved in it now, I think more than ever, which is a great thing. There is a lot to know, but I really aim with, with what I'm doing to give people that knowledge so that they're empowered consumers. You're listening to our conversation with Connecticut author and educator Terry Walters. She's the author of the books Clean Eating and Clean Start. Her latest book is Eat Clean, Live Well. Later in the hour, Plum and Terry get inspiration from Hartford's West End Farmer's Market. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Coming up after the break, we talk to Terry about some favorite things to eat in every season. You know, pizza can be clean too. Plus, perhaps a more obvious clean dish, grilled pineapple salsa. Grilled pineapple, more than any other food, it lends to salsa so well because it's sweet and it has some sourness to it. This is Seasoned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Today we're talking to Terry Walters. She's the author of the books Clean Eating and Clean Start. Her latest book is Eat Clean, Live Well. In our first segment, Terry outlined her philosophy around clean eating. And no, you don't have to be vegan, and your shopping list doesn't have to include organic everything. 
Even carnivores can eat clean if they're curious enough to ask questions about where their protein comes from. Clean eaters are on a spectrum, honoring their body's individual needs and health goals. It's not a diet, it's a series of choices. We all make different ones, and that's okay. There's no judgment. Before we get into some recipes and more tips for seasonal eating, I wanted to acknowledge that so many communities face barriers when it comes to accessing fresh fruit and vegetables. I grew up in the Bronx. We had Dipsy Doodles and Twinkies, you know, and we always reached for that before we reached for, I don't remember going to the grocery store and seeing aisles of produce mm -hmm. the way I do now. And I know that that is still the norm for a lot of communities across the state of Connecticut. As much as we make strides to bring farmers markets to a lot of our communities, there are still, you know, food deserts. Not that you have a solution, but what recommendation would you make to bring that idea of not judging people for how they eat, but also for helping communities understand that what they eat will not only help them live longer, but help them live better lives. It will affect their mental health, their cardiovascular system. Um, because if, I think if you take a holistic approach to communities and societies and how we evolve and how we interact with one another, it's so easy to forget food. I often say, you know, there would be peace in the Middle East if they all ate over a delicious meal, right? And I know that's a really long question, but I do think that we forget how important food is mm -hmm. to our overall well-being, especially for communities of color and other disenfranchised communities across the state. It's interesting. Um, there used to be a farm in New Britain called Urban Oaks, and New Britain is the food desert. And, you know, it's so hard to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, especially if you have no concept of where they walk. Are we making progress? Yeah, like there are organizations in Connecticut, like Hartford Food System, like Knox Community Farms, like Billings Forge, Roots in New Britain, who are bringing farmers markets to those food deserts, who are creating schoolyard gardens and teaching our youth, which I think is critical. And those youth then bring that information back home, which often inspires a lot of change and um, community gardens and um, really sharing that load and that education. I feel like we're making a lot of progress there, but if anything has been highlighted by the pandemic, it's food security and food inequity. That is where our health begins. So we really, I, I wish I could solve it, but I'll just continue supporting and working with all those organizations and going into the schools, just teaching um, and bringing that information, I think, to these communities is certainly that's my goal. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and I know it's a, it's a larger than life challenge and it takes more than just a Terry Walters. It takes about a hundred of you and then a hundred more legislators. And then it takes a nation is what it takes because it's our whole food system is based on selling processed packaged food with health benefits um, used as marketing terms that are empty, right? <laughs> it's a bit of a struggle. And also to Plum's point, you know, organic or local. If I know the farmer who made those tomatoes and there's not that fancy organic thing, I'm still going to buy it because I know where it was grown. I want to talk about some of these recipes because if you're a home cook and you find cooking intimidating, if you can get a couple of good recipes down or understand how they work, you can really change them into your own. I like how you said before using things as a guideline. Mm -hmm. And that's what I teach to people wholeheartedly as well. And I love 
this grilled pineapple salsa because what a versatile thing to be able to make and use on so many different items, whether it's uh, into a salad even or dips chips into it or put it over top of a piece of fish. Especially over like a piece of grilled salmon or tuna, like over some barbecued chicken. Like, yeah, absolutely. And so the grilled pineapple salsa actually came one year when I had zero tomatoes. That's not to say I didn't have tomato plants. (laughs) I produced zero tomatoes in my own garden. And so I started getting a little creative because I had tons of tomatillos and, um, you know, some onion and cilantro and jalapeno. So all the tastes of summer. One of the things about grilling fruit is that it really enhances, it brings out the sugars. And so the grilled pineapple actually more than any other fruit lends to salsa so well because it's sweet and it has some sourness to it. It really has a a great taste to it. And if you don't have grilled pineapple, chop up some plums. Hey, (laughs) Uh, you can grill peaches. You can grill nectarines. Uh, You can take it into the fall and grill some pears. Like it's really incredible. The legs that that dish has. So I slice up the pineapple and grill it up and um, chop it up and put it in a bowl. And sometimes I add heirloom tomatoes. And other times I use tomatillos. Sometimes I add jicama. Other times I don't like whatever you have, but cilantro, jalapeno, some red onion, you know, color, right? I said eating all the colors of the rainbow, but also cooking by color. So if you take that recipe and you look at it and it's missing a color, add another ingredient. If you have white onion, maybe put in a little bit of red pepper, really make it so that it nourishes all of your senses. I did a beautiful grilled strawberry and mint with jicama salsa this weekend. Yeah, delicious. Okay, now can we talk about seasons? Uh How to eat seasonally? Because that you said tomato and I was just thinking, ooh, tomatoes are everywhere now. Yeah, I'm blessed to have a garden and I'm blessed to have the rain because it It's like a jungle out there, but um, I'm going to harvest some golden beets this afternoon for dinner. And my fennel is starting to mature rainbow chard and kale and collards are going crazy out there. One of my zucchinis died. So that was kind of a bummer. The tomatoes are in every color. My husband came in with this like dark green tomato with like hints of burgundy in it. And he said, is this ripe? Or is it supposed to be red? Like what? I said, no, that's that's what it's supposed to be. So um, it's just exciting. And I'm really excited to see what's at the farmer's market. And, you know, that alone, just going to a market, you don't have to buy anything, just go and look and talk to people. One of my favorite things about going to the farmer's market is not actually buying. It's talking to the people who are buying something in line and saying, what are you doing with that? It gives you insight into not only what's happening in their kitchen, but the foods they grew up with and cultural variations and different tastes. And it's so exciting. It just really makes food come alive to me. And that's what I've always loved. So I know some very good gardeners out there. And I only know one that actually tries to grow corn. Do you have a place or a favorite farm that you like to get corn from? Well, I live right down the street from uh, Rosedale Farm. And so I go to Rosedale almost religiously. But um, it's a little bit of a further drive for me to go over to the Eddy Farm in Newington. But their corn is like, it's out of this world. It's just amazing. I mean, Connecticut corn arguments are up there with pizza and with, <laughs> with, with burgers. Like, corn's a thing. I don't really think there should be any argument about pizza. I, <laughs> I, I agree completely. <laughs> My New York friends disagree. 
to me, that seems like the perfect food. And so, you know, we've spent all this time talking about clean. And I just like to say, like, if you can put it on pizza, it is a perfect world. <laughs> pizza and tacos, like over the course of the pandemic, I have like a, a vat of masa harina so that we can always make tacos. And of course, you know, I teach. So um, I've probably taught, I don't know, a hundred sourdough bread making classes. So there's always sourdough pizza crust here. And we put everything on pizza. I can get you to try any new vegetable on pizza. Maybe it has pesto on it. Maybe it's like, you know, nice red sauce on it. We do all sorts of things with pizza. So I'm a true kinetic, as my daughter would say, a true kinetic cutie. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Terry, would you go through with us some of your favorites of the seasons? So I think one of the things that is awesome about eating clean and eating seasonally is that every season you're eating these foods that you haven't had in six months, eight months, nine months, and all of a sudden you've never tasted a delicata squash that's that delicious, right? Like fall, the first delicata squash, I'm like, I come home and I'm like, oh my God, you guys, look what I got, delicata squash, right? And we put it in a pan, cut it in half, cut out the seeds, put it in the pan with a little bit of apple cider and cover it and roast it. And the apple cider goes right up into the flesh and we eat the skin and all, we eat it like a boat, you know, in our hands. You know, I eat kale almost year round. It grows in my garden almost year round. But in the fall, after the first frost, you'd think it's a totally different vegetable. It gets so sweet. Even in the winter, I can go and like move snow away and there's the kale. It's so hearty. And I think that's how I want to feel in the winter. Like, you know, moving away the snow and reaching for the sun. I had no idea. Kale was that hearty. (laughs) It's it's amazing. I love Brussels sprouts in the fall and they carry me right through the winter. I love Asian pears like that really crisp, almost has like a dry sweetness to it in that brown skin. And they're amazing roasted and they're good with savory food and sweet food and kind of almost like the jicama of the winter. And a spring when the arugula comes, I'm like, arugula, you know, rocket, whatever you want to call it. But like that peppery, like, okay, I'm awake, you know, and asparagus, love the asparagus in the spring. And then um, all the delicious berries that come in that like middle season when it's not quite summer time for summer produce yet. You know, like, it's, it's funny as I go through the year, because I think like, April, May, and June, you think are like the most beautiful months of the year. And yet for local produce, it's slim pickings, you know, that we haven't really had enough sun and long days to get local produce and to have everything grow. It's planted, but it won't come out probably till the end of June, early July. So those are like the dry months where you're like, oh, do I really want to eat another wintered over root vegetable and quinoa and legumes. But then all of a sudden we start getting the artichokes and the asparagus. And I'm like, okay, I'm in. (laughs) Life's good again. (laughs) So it gives you, you know, a great appreciation and for taste and um, mixing it up and just feels really good in the body too. 
That was clean food educator and author Terry Walters. If you have been inspired to try some clean eating and clean cooking yourself, go to our website to see a few recipes from Terry's book, Eat Clean, Live Well. There's a salsa, a salad, and some spicy corn on the cob. Go to ctpublic.org slash recipes. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. We're going to take a short break, but we're not done with Terry yet, so stay with us if you love a good stroll through a farmer's market. When we come back, inspiration for tonight's dinner and all summer long. We head to the West End Farmer's Market at the Clemens Place Green in Hartford. We talk to farmers and makers about what to eat right now. That's a Lebanese zucchini. I grow it because I like to eat it, and it has a slight nutty flavor. You're listening to Seasoned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. As much as we love to talk about fresh local summer fruits and veggies, nothing beats getting out to a market and experiencing it firsthand. Terry Walters and Chef Plum were lucky enough to do just that on a recent Tuesday afternoon. Okay, so I'm here at the West End Farmer's Market. Terry and I have gotten up out of our studio seats. We didn't have seats, did we? No, we had the kitchen table. (laughs) But we're going to check out some great stuff. But I wanted to talk to Jess Emmons. She is the market master here at the West End Farmer's Market. Jess, thanks for letting us come hang out. Thank you for coming. We're very excited to have you. You guys, the market just opened today. And there's already a lot of people here. This is great. Yeah, so we open at 4 o'clock. And generally, we're busiest from about 4 to 6. And then after 6, we generally die off a little bit. But we are having live music at 5. So generally, people will picnic. They'll grab dinner. They'll hang out. It's a really nice community. I think we have about 20 vendors today. Wow, it yeah. looks great over here. Thank you. I like the mix too. We've got lots of produce people. We've got some bread. We've got some, what did she say? Sassy birch? What does she make? Vegan jerky out of jackfruit. Wow, vegan yeah. jerky out of jackfruit. Yep. Um, Terry, you ever seen a jackfruit? Of course you have. Of course I have, yeah. <laughs> you ever taken one apart? No, yeah. I haven't. Have you? Oh, many times. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an ordeal. But I'm pretty excited to try the jerky though. Yeah, I, I think she's too. got some free samples going too. Awesome. Yeah. Excellent. So, is there anything here at the market you recommend for us? To I start with? definitely recommend Mike from Riverview has the best squash around. Okay. Then, if you're in the mood for some fruit, I would visit Armando. I believe today he has the first batch of pears and apples and um, some new plum varieties as well. And then, definitely stop by Sweet Acre, get a burger on your way out. This all sounds like a lot of fun. And kettle corn. The kettle corn, fresh made. Delicious? Oh, it's so good. Amazing. Yeah. Appreciate it. We're going to take a walk around and see what we can find and little treasures. Yes. Enjoy. Thanks, Jess. Thank you. So, Terry, our first stop on uh, the, this, I guess the, the whole market's shaped like a big C, I guess is kind of how I would describe it, right? You walk in the... Which is so nice because it really allows you to see everything and kind of get the lay of the land. But these collard greens, like, drew me over here. They, look at them. They're, like, three times the size of my head. Massive, <laughs> massive. Massive, massive collard greens. And, and these are from Riverview Farm in Coventry. And I look at these things, and it almost reminds me of, like, a lily pad. It's just so... That's what I picture in my brain, but it's so delicious. Growing up, collard greens are something that I ate on a regular basis down south. And when you cook these the right way... You know, you don't have to pull the stems off. But if I was going to make these now, I would pull the stems off, a quick saute, garlic and onion, 
and then I would probably finish them with uh, some sun golds and just throw them in there with them. Oh, nice. See, I would take a totally different approach because it's summer, and so these are really early, actually. I expect collard greens in the fall, but the collard greens, you know, they have that nice, big, thick stem, and um, you can hold that and dunk the green into some boiling water for just like 10 seconds, and it'll soften up, and then you can use it as a a wrap. Oh, yeah, you can blanch it off. Yeah, yeah, you can blanch it and use it instead of bread or instead of a tortilla. You could put almost anything in what there. A great like idea. I'm looking down the line here and I see the that zucchini uh-huh. and I like I want to spiralize it, mix it with a peanut sauce and stick it in that collard green. <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about you saying the word spiralize it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, you can julienne it if you prefer. <laughs> uh, what a great idea though, making a wrap out of these. I mean these leaves right now I want to point out just so you guys I know you can't see them, you can only hear them. They're about as big as my head. And for those of you who know me, I have a very large head. <laughs> what a great idea to use that as a wrap. I'm totally down with that. And also I look at here, I look at these two different types of kale beautiful i love kale kale salad but one of my favorite things to do for one of my clients you know they have younger kids their kids aren't big fans of eating leafy greens and Mm -hmm. things like that but they'll eat kale chips yeah so if i (laughs) pull the kale off the stems and toss a little olive oil a little salt They'll tear it up. If you put it right in the oven, they'll destroy it. They'll eat it nonstop. You can toss it with a little bit of barbecue sauce sure. or mix like some lemon and tahini together and then massage that onto the leaves and mm-hmm. stick them in the oven. You know, just a low 200 degree oven, 150 degrees. Yeah, yeah. And they'll crisp right up. But I do, I love a kale salad this time of year. Yeah, amazing, right? And you just, you know, drizzle a little olive oil, some mm-hmm. lemon, some some nice good salt, and massage it. Right, right. And that's the thing, like, you know, everyone says, oh, yeah, cook your kale with garlic and olive oil, but that's all bitter. And if you're not used to eating bitter, that can be really overwhelming and probably off-putting for most. So I if you be, yeah. massage it with a little lemon, it breaks down. It's much easier to digest. And then you can smush, you know, get your hands in there and smush some avocado into that and, and get that, a nice dressing. that, my friends, dressing. is a culinary term, smush. smush. Very important. Yeah. Very important. <laughs> you know what? I actually take this and do the same thing, a similar salad to yep. it. But I mix uh, lemon juice and yogurt together. Yum. Whip it up really, really good and yeah. toss the whole thing with the, that little mixture. It's delicious. Yeah, absolutely. And super healthy, a great way to get some calcium and minerals and... Or, you know, green smoothies are super popular. I mean, like, i got to ask you, are you like it. the spokesperson for the, the kale champions of the world? You know, it's true that as soon as I, I wrote my first book, Clean Food, everyone's like, so do I have to eat kale? Do and, I have to eat kale? That's <laughs> and funny. the truth is, like, no, you don't really have to eat any one thing. But the more you know, the more you're empowered to make healthy choices. Perfect. And so dark leafy greens... By hook or by crook, somehow Delicious. we got to hey, get them in. Hey, you say it too, eat the rainbow. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see if we can chat with the farmer here for a second. What's up, brother? How are you? I'm all right. Um, Mike Bergeron from Riverview Farm in Coventry. Well, Mike, these greens look amazing. They look beautiful. This market, when you come here, when you have these greens like this, the people, do they love them? Are they a little scared of them? Or? The collard greens sell really good here. A lot of people eat collard greens. Oh, they do. That's great. You guys ever use these before? So it looks almost like a zucchini, but it's a lighter, very, very, very light green, almost yeah. like a... I don't know, what color green would you would you call that, Terry? Chartreuse. Oh. How's that? Okay. <laughs> That's a Lebanese zucchini. Okay. Not many people know about it because it's uh, not very popular. It doesn't ship well around the country because of the light color. But I grow it because I like to eat it. It compares closest to the regular green zucchini, uh-huh. but it actually has a smaller seed cavity than your regular zucchini, oh, nice. and it has a slight nutty flavor. Ooh. That's really cool. I kind of want to have that with some zatar on the grill, like mm, a little olive oil, lemon, zatar. That sounds great. Yeah. That sounds amazing. I might pick some of these up on the way out. Yeah. That awesome. sounds really good. Yeah. They're real good. Well, Mike, we appreciate it, man. Thank you yep. very much. Yeah, no problem. All right. All right. Hi, Chef Plum. Hello. How are you? It is amazing. 
soon as I, I saw you guys, I say I show his shop from. I'm kind of hard to miss. Man. Nice to see you. Next, we walked over to the farm stand of Sweet Wind Farm out of East Heartland. Terry picked up one of their delicious looking zucchinis. Eight ball zucchini, you buy that for a dollar, then slice it like a hamburger, and then stick it on a grill, char it, flip it over, stick a piece of cheese on it, make it like a cheeseburger. There's getting better. My name is Arlo Case. My wife and I and family own Sweetwind Farm in East Heartland, Connecticut. We also own my father's family farm in Blanford, Mass, and my mother's family farm in Tallinn, Mass. We were just talking about these wonderful little squash here. You yep. called them an eight ball squash? That's called an eight ball zucchini. Eight ball zucchini, okay, nice. Yep. It's hollow though, isn't it? No, it's pretty solid. So good, and I love slicing them, and you know, there's so many great different kinds of eggplant and like cipollini onions, onions yeah. and uh, you can just layer yeah, those I all never together. Knew how good onions were with zucchini until the Oh, Until best friends. Until I went over to a friend's, <laughs> friend's house for dinner and I had served uh, zucchini and onions and I was like, mm, that's good. One of my favorite things to do when you get these wonderful local Connecticut squash and zucchinis, and we grow them, at my, my wife grows tons of them, we'll get some simple sausage or I'll make a sausage, Italian sausage, a hot sausage, chorizo, whatever you want to make. I'll grind it up in my, in my Robocoop a little bit, right? Toss it with a little tomato and then actually slice this guy, blanch it, you know, drop it in salted water for a few seconds mm -hmm. and then stuff it with the sausage, mm -hmm. leaving it like a boat and then roast the oven for a few minutes, it comes out delicious. Yeah, like mouth-watering. Can you tell well, us about your maple syrup? Is that yeah, we are a maple farm. Maple syrup is our biggest crop. I've been making maple syrup commercially for 40 some odd years. I started as Arlo Sugar Shack back in the 70s. My wife and I bought Sweet One Farm about 25 years ago. Thank you, Arlo, we appreciate you. Thank you, appreciate you stopping by. Absolutely. Come back again. We will, for sure. Terry, so you use maple syrup the most, right? I do, it's low in sucrose, it's local. It actually has minerals, it's minimally processed. So like we talked about yeah. clean being close to the source and very little processing. So yeah, I use maple syrup as my primary. You can get grade A, you can get grade mm -hmm. B. Grade B has a stronger maple taste. I use the A so that not everything ends up tasting like maple, maple syrup. syrup. Right, right, yeah, sure. <laughs> And I love it. We call it liquid gold in our house. Good to know. Maple syrup makes a great sweetener for lots of things, not yeah. just for pancakes and waffles. No, it's at, it's really great. It can go for sweet. It can go for savory. You can actually use it with spice really well. It's, yeah. it's really flexible. I love it. Let's see what else we can find. Well, we're getting closer to where the food truck situation is. So you're going to hear in the background the generator going on. And, and I think they said it's a vegan food truck, yeah, right? Yeah, I heard that that's where we have to go for these great vegan burgers. I mean, you, I know you got excited about that. Yeah, I did. <laughs> um, tell you what, I just got, I got drawn over here to these squash blossoms that I want to talk about. But first, I want to talk to you guys. What's your name and where are you guys from? We are Maple Bank Farm and we are out of Roxbury, Connecticut. I'm Dakota, Rudd Eastman. I run this with my husband, Matthew Went. Nice. I saw the squash blossoms over here, which make me super, super happy. Uh, and I love that you're actually leaving these guys on here like this. Yeah. There's a little squash <laughs> on the end of that, which I love dearly. We were about to retire that planting, so we just cut everything that was on there yeah. off, so not to waste anything. Yeah. But the blossom is still attached. I would almost blanch it in water a little bit, and then I would stuff the blossom and bread the entire thing and fry it. And then deep fry it. How cool is that? I've done that once or twice. It's a little I just think tedious. it's important to note that you have to deep fry it. You know, whatever you believe in for your health. Like <laughs> <laughs> Squash blossoms really, they require mozzarella, they require well, deep I was frying. Asking, what, do you, what, do you like, what do you stuff inside your blossoms? Look at that one too. How beautiful is that? Gorgeous. It's a yellow one. Look at that. That's gorgeous. Really beautiful. What would you recommend stuffing in there? Oh, you really want me to give you the vegan approach to that? I do. I do, I do, I do. <laughs> I mean, you could make like an almond ricotta and okay. put some fresh herbs into the, just 
blanch your almonds, take off the peels, give them a blitz, and add some oregano, some basil, and stuff that in there. At my core, I still feel like I need an anchovy in there. So. Wow, I love that. So, That's great. That's great. My heritage, what can I say? I'm a goat <laughs> cheese and jalapeno fan. Stick yeah, in there, it's delicious. Yum. Right inside of it. I feel like we are way less exciting. I usually put like wild rice and parsley or like. <laughs> Pepper, whatever we have laying around. They're delicious. And you can do it in the air fryer too. I bought an air fryer recently yeah. and I've been completely obsessed with it. Dude, you can use the air fryer for I so many things. Like, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> air fryer is good stuff. I love my air fryer. Yeah. Those are beautiful. That's what I got drawn to right away. And then, of course, you're holding these wonderful I onions. I know. These onions are like, first of all, that like ombre from white to this like really beautiful pink and this deep purple like you know when i say eat all the colors of the rainbow everyone's like yeah well what's purple like these are That's such purple. and it, it's an onion and um you can chop them up and put them in a salad and do everything that you know you would n normally use an onion for but you could just take these and put them right on the grill and i would they, leave the stem on and everything absolutely the mm -hmm. whole thing and um and let them really get nice and seared and um they'll literally melt in your mouth just delicious using every single part of this if you look at the very end here on the root end right here where you see those little tiny roots coming off mm -hmm. i take these i clean them really good then dry them off and then deep fry them and no. use them as garnish and they taste like delicious they're onion still crunchy. Sticks. yeah they that's taste awesome so good. Yeah, they're amazing <laughs> We had to, of course, talk about the green beans that are sitting right here. Cause I'm a big green bean fan. I am too. Like we talked about purple. The purple, purple green, green beans. beans. How beautiful is that? I right? know. This whole little stand here, everything's purple, which is awesome. Well, let's talk about what happens to these beautiful purple green beans when you cook them. Yeah, it is such a bummer, isn't it? They just turn green. <laughs> but you know, you can ferment them yes. and turn them into pickles. Put them in a bottle with some sliced up jalapeno mm -hmm. and some um, red pepper flakes and a little bit of dill and then just salt water. Just screw on that lid and let yeah. them sit for like three or four days and they'll keep their color. Some of that purple will go into the brine, right. but they'll still maintain a lot of that purple and they'll be really crunchy and delicious and refreshing and perfect. I take these and I slice them thin. I'll throw them in a little uh, acidulated water. Usually I use rice vinegar and then lemon juice mm -hmm. or salt. Let them sit for 20 minutes and then top a salad with it or finish uh, finish steak with it because they're still crunchy and they get a little bit of pickling on it. I love pickling stuff. Yeah. These are delicious, 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 delicious. Let me tell you about Nyam Bakery, right? right please. <laughs> so this is my second, third time with them. First time I tasted the um, the regular cocoa bread is right here, the custard cocoa bread. I don't know, it's very magical. It's very, like say you want to warm it up back in the oven at your house. Like it's the aroma. Aroma uh, makes you want to go in the oven and eat it right away. So you could probably pair it with like butter or your favorite cheese spread in between. And bite like that. <laughs> I'm excited about that. Right? Then try the almond one is really good. Very aromatic too. Like I'm a foodie, so yes. Delicious? Um, very delicious. Banging, banging, banging. I tried the veggie and herb cocoa bread. Whew. Is that your favorite now? I don't know. It's my my, my, my taste bud gonna tell me which GPS direction to go. On a bread. Ooh, a taste bud GPS. I'm into that. Is that the one you're eating now? Because I can see the herbs are like the herbs and listen, out of that bed. Look listen, at that. real carrot, real <laughs> herbs. It's very kind of like a bagel, but better than the bagel. More softer, more tastier. 
You know, like when you taste the bagel, you just see the taste on top. You taste everything in between the crevice, north, west, south, east, all cardinals. <laughs> I think my issue I'm having right now is that you're just talking about it and eating and talking about it. We're standing here listening to you, and you guys just looking at us. Yep. You know what? Can, uh, can we taste Chrissy some bread? Chrissy's <laughs> helping us all, and she's helping. the best spokesperson out and there. And then, unbelievable see, spokesperson. That's the um, the part of the poker bread here. It gets people to talk, it gets people to smile, enjoy it. So why not? Uh, Maybe introduce yourselves and tell us where you're from. Okay, so I'm Cleon. Uh, my name is Alwyn. Yes, and we are a local Jamaican bakery specializing in uh, polka breads with different flavors and uh, Jamaican-inspired uh, pastries and sweets. So, this stuff sounds amazing. I, thank you so much. We, look, she's pulling out herbs right now for her bread. That's the roasted kale. Roasted kale. Mm. Yes, yes. The bread itself almost has a little bit of an orange tinge to it. Oh my god. <laughs> Yo, is it? Oh, that is so good. Mm. That's so good. That is delicious. That's delicious. <laughs> thank you. Thank Amazing. you. Amazing. I'm blown away by that. I can't wait to so get inside. Good. Delicious. Thank you, gentlemen. We appreciate right, it so thank much. You, thank, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Well, Terry, I got to tell you, I'm inspired to go make dinner right now. I, I am. <laughs> when I come out here and just hang out with you and talk food and see all these beautiful colors. And I think what's really, what people can really take to heart when they want to eat clean is like I think you said earlier in the show eat the rainbow. Yeah, and it's so hard to not get excited when you come someplace like this and yeah. you see all this amazing produce that's grown right here in our state. It's the coolest like, part about it's just, it. Yeah, and people from all over Hartford and the greater Hartford area, like this is about community and it's about supporting community and it's about supporting our local economy and our environment. Like this is what makes it sustainable good health. It's about making delicious food and <laughs> come out here. Local farmer, farmers market, get inspired. I'm about to walk around here and buy all kinds of stuff. Oh, and P.S. If you see cocoa bread, cocoa bread, yeah, buy all of it because that's what I'm, I'm about to go do right now. Terry, thanks for coming out here with me. It's been really fun. Thanks, Chef Plum. It's great. And big shout out to the uh, West End Farmers Market out here in Hartford. This place is great. If you haven't been here, you got to get here and check it out. Thanks to our guest Terry Walters and the West End Farmers Market community in Hartford. The market is located on the Clemens Place Green just steps away from the Mark Twain house. It's open on Tuesdays from 4 to 7. Don't forget, you can get Terry's recipes for grilled pineapple salsa, golden beaten blackberry salad, and grilled sweet corn with a spicy rub on our website. Go to ctpublic.org recipes. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Seasoned is produced by Robin Doyen Aiken and Katie Talarski. Our interns are Maisie Carvalho and Kelly Langevin. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.